This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. I'm Phil Nasons. He's Craig Doyle. And we've got a lot to talk about today. What's happening, dude? Hey, how are you doing? It's great to hear from you again. Um, yeah, busy. Real busy. Um, you may have seen in the last day that I posted my semi-retirement from photography. Semi-retirement. Yeah, you know, I've done... Um, 105 matches of women's soccer this l last year alone. Um, and that's just the adult matches. That doesn't include all the kids' matches I've done. Um, I, I put a lot of effort and time into promoting women's soccer in this country. And I've been doing that for over a decade. You know that. A, a lot of people are aware of that. But um, it's come to the time where there's a lot of new people coming into the photography arena um a lot more people getting involved because when i started there weren't many people at all no nope. um but no i've done my bit i think and it's time for me to back off and let some of the other people um enjoy the photography aspect and uh put some of their time into it and for me it's time to move on to some other projects you know i'm not completely stepping away but i'll be coming at it from a different angle, a much more reduced angle going forward. Um, and that's going to give me more time to do things like this. That's great to hear. You know what? Uh, I've fully retired from tennis. I'm looking at a surgery next week. So that's the end for that. But I haven't stopped paying attention. I haven't stopped loving the sport. In this last two weeks of the French Open has rekindled that. It's amazing some of the things that you see and hear from so-called reporters and people who've been covering the game for 25 years or so they say. And I feel like we need to be more present from this end of the community because the tennis journalists, I guess uh, their whole uh, spiel, all of them, all of them, except for maybe a couple, I guess, don't know the foggiest thing about the sport of tennis. They have no idea what they're talking about. They're terrible. They don't analyze matches. They're fanboys and fangirls. And frankly speaking, I think that we need to step that up because quite frankly, with sports betting being so prevalent now, especially in the United States, it's in 30 states, Somewhere we got to Somebody's they've got to have information somewhere and you're not going to get it from these journalists. You know, I can't believe a guy, you know, who claims to have covered a sport of tennis for 25 years at the pro level has never thought one time about what happens when these young ladies are having their menstrual cycle and have to play tennis, especially at a high level. That to me is absurd. And that's why we need to keep this podcast going and be more prevalent on Twitter, more present on Twitter and, and counter some of this dumb stuff. I mean, this is stupid, stupid. You know, I learned that deal with the menstrual thing when I was 18, for God's sakes. But that's the difference between being in the sport and being on the outside looking in, waiting for someone to tell you some gossip. And, and that's something tough. I got to tell you, the ladies have it tough. You know, when their cycle is happening, it can be horrific. Think about your wife or your girlfriend or your sister or your mother. You know, now, 
imagine they had to play a pro tennis match on center court in this climate with social media being the way it is, these uh, inept reporting being the way that it is. It's really difficult, but I'm going to tell you a little secret, Craig. Well, you already know, but the bottom line is if you're coaching a female tennis player who's even halfway decent, you know when that cycle is and you try to keep her from playing tournaments during that cycle as often as you can. Now, this is a tough one because when you have majors, you know, usually, well, they're two weeks long. So it can be very dicey, Craig, but These reporters, this journalism, they call themselves journalists, broadcasters. They're about as biased and inept as I've ever seen in any other professional sport. I think I can relate. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, especially um, now um, in the way that journalism is. I mean, journalism is now reduced to short bites on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, on whatever your platform is. The long-form journalism that you and I grew up with is something of a rarity these days. You don't see it as often. It doesn't attract as many clicks or as many hits or as many views or whatever you want to call it. So there's a real difficulty differentiating between who the professionals are and who these um, armchair self-appointed experts are that are sitting at home. And sometimes there's almost no difference. Some of these journalists have reduced themselves to producing the very similar content to what these armchair experts are producing um, on the same platforms. So... You see people who have got 25-year-long careers, and they're putting out articles that pretty much are in line with the stuff that's getting put out by the keyboard warriors. It's very difficult now to find high-quality journalism breaking actual news stories, not opinion pieces, not I think this, I think that. Um, we need to do this. We need to do that for equality or or for the sake of this. It's really difficult to find actual breaking stories written well, presented well, and with, you know, great imagery. And and that's, you know, not just related to tennis. I mean, that's quite, quite well across the board in sports. It's part of the reason that I'm making the changes to what I'm doing is that I see a lot of lazy content going out there. That's become the norm. It's it's poor content. It's not good for the reader to be consuming this content because it usually has no real value to them. It's it's not something that opens our mind to anything that's you know relevant. It, it's generally the thoughts of one individual person. It's almost like blogging. So. I absolutely agree with you. I think there, we need to have more actual journalists and less people out there posting opinion pieces, posting simple social media attention-grabbing pieces. Let's go back to actually having real people reporting on tennis, reporting on sports. Well, that's what I think needs to happen. I think that we're probably going to have to take that step and do that. And I think that we will. I'm pretty sure you and I work good together. We've been working together a long time, 11 years. This is This Week in Tennis. 
but maybe we have to uh, do some other things. And you and I both can write, and we both can do things. We'll talk about that after the show or whenever. But, you know, when you talk about the lady side of things, there's a lot of talk about sexism in tennis, and there's probably a lot of merit to that conversation or that claim. Iga Svitek wanted to play on center court in her match the other night. And tournament director Amelie Moresmo declined that request. And we haven't really seen why that is. But Craig, you happen to have that information. And I think that we should share that with them. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody's in any doubt as to how open and honest I'm being here, this is exactly the conversation I had about four or five years ago when I was blocked by Catherine Whitaker. Yep, that tennis podcaster on Twitter because I had a similar conversation about the scheduling of women's matches on the center court at Wimbledon. So what you've got at Roland Garros, and, and these are facts. These are not opinions on my part. I love women's tennis. I love women. I would love to see <laughs> women's tennis getting the best promotion possible. But the simple fact is that prior to any of these draws being made, any of these um, competitors being in the in the hat to be in the French Open, so I'm talking back February, March, when tickets went on sale, the FFT, the French Tennis Federation, had put into place a ticket pricing structure for the tournament. Now, the evening session is a new session this year under the lights. Um, they haven't had this in previous years. Normally, the French Open, they'd have four matches on the Philippe Chatrier court. On any given day, you would get two women's matches, two men's matches. But this year, they've changed the ticket pricing structure. It's the same price for the day session, but you get one less match. Um, and generally, they've decided that they want to put two women's matches on the day session, one men's match on the day session, and the evening session would have a men's singles match with the highest profile players, generally speaking. What I can tell people is that the other day for the Nadal-Djokovic match, it was €100 Euros for the cheapest seat on Philip Schatzer to watch Nadal versus Djokovic. Now, that price, again, had been set back in February before they knew who would be playing in this match. The day session, the same day, where you saw two women's quarterfinals and the match between Alexander Zverev and um, Carlos Alcaraz, that cost 115 euros. So for 15 euros more, you were getting three matches during the day session. So that evening session is a pretty expensive ticket considering you only get one match. Now, I could understand Sviatek, you know, in terms of a quality um, of opportunity, wants to be able to play in the evening session as the marquee match. But I think it's a hard sell to put a best of three sets match on at a hundred euro ticket price. And these tickets have already been sold. You know, you can't give people a refund at this stage. So I think, you know, the FFT are probably well within the right to say, look, we've got to put a best of five sets match on because we've already taken a high ticket price for this. It's probably too high considering it's one match. Um, and, we need to put on at least three sets worth of tennis because if they put on a match that I, and I know things can go badly, you know, there can be retirements, injuries, whatever, or a match could finish quite quickly. If it's a, a best of five, you know, it could, might, might be two hours if, if it's 
a one-sided match. But but they need to guarantee their customer that they're going to have at least two plus hours of tennis, you know, maybe three, maybe four. I think if you put on a, a best of three sets match and it finishes six one six two, and you've charged a hundred euros for that ticket, you're going to have quite a lot of unhappy customers, and that's just you know the economical facts of the situation. It's not a bias against um, women or it's, it's not a, a preferential treatment towards men's players. It really is a financial problem that the FFT need to look at going forward. I think they need to look at the ticket pricing structure. They potentially need to consider whether maybe they they split that even session, start it earlier, and like say the US Open they ha- or the Australian Open, they have both a men's singles match and a women's singles match on there. But um, they, they've got a lot of issues with those evening sessions. The times that it starts at, the logistics of getting people to and from the stadium. There's, there's certainly a lot of considerations need to be made by the FFT. I think perhaps next year we might see the day session having a men's and women's singles match on it and the evening session being an equally priced ticket with a men's and women's single match on it starting at, you know, 4 p.m. local time or something along those lines. But at the moment, the way they've set it up, it's not particularly good. It, in fact, it's really poor compared to what a lot of others do. And I can see Eva Sviatek's point. I think she's got a great point. But um, Amelie Moresmo's had to come out and defend the decision and I think she's been put in a hard place and she's had to make the right call, which has been to put best of five sets matches on when you're charging that kind of money. Man, that's exactly right. And these are things that we've discussed on this podcast several times. It's not sexism. It's capitalism. You know, giving the fans what they want. Can you imagine the uproar if Shvitek did play on Chartier that night and wax her opponent 6-love, six 6-1? Six you know, you can't do that. It's not about sexism. It's like opening day, Craig. Now, we saw a lot of pictures out there on Twitter about the empty seats for the ladies' match to kick off the tournament. But then as you you and I were talking about, it, it has nothing to do with who's playing on Chartier or wherever after that first match. It's all about the ticket pricing and the amenities that they get. And the fans also get a free lunch. Or our lunch is included, correct? So what if, what do you think is going to happen there? They're going to eat. And, and it, yeah, absolutely. And they roll out this thing on social media every year where people are like, oh, this isn't right. You know, people are not back in the women's game. But they forget that, well, the actual reason for it is if you've paid for one of these expensive tickets in the log seating, you know, the area down the front on Chatelier or on Suzanne Langon courts, then they start the, the matches at exactly the same time that they open the restaurant. So people are going to go for the lunch because you've paid to get that. I mean, you're not getting it free. The lunch is part of the ticket price. And by the way, it's a fantastic lunch you get at Roland Garros as you do at all the slams. Oh, right. So, you know, these customers are coming down and they're generally the customers who are coming down having paid probably three figures, maybe four figures, um, quite likely four figures to get these included lunches and, and restaurant access and, and drinks. So they're going to come down and they're going to do that. They're not going to go out to watch the first match when that's part of the ticket package that they've bought. 
Um, so it's you know again, it's not sexism. It's simply the organization of the event is that they they open up the lunch at the same time they open play. If if they did what Wimbledon did and reduced the number of matches on the center courts by one and then started an hour later, then you can guarantee people would go for lunch, then they'd fill out the seats. But um, that's never been the way they've done things in Paris. They want to put as much tennis on as possible, possibly because the Roland Garros site has traditionally not had as many courts as, say, the US Open or Wimbledon has. So they can't you know, get as many matches put on the smaller courts as possible. And then there's also the... The, the, the possibility that Roland Garros, like the other slams, now has just too many show courts. They, they want to charge an extra ticket price to see the stars. So you're lucky. I mean, I think this year in the first round, the only two top 10 players you could have seen at Roland Garros, if you did not pay extra to get a ticket to one of the show courts, were Andrzej Rublev and... Danielle Collins. Yeah. So you know, in, in three days of play, you only had the chance to see two top ten players in the first round. There, there was no opportunity to see any of the others unless you had paid out extra to get a show court ticket. Grams passes were not going to let you see top tennis, and you know they're very protective at, at these slams now of which players you get to see on a grams pass. You paying twenty five bucks for a ticket now doesn't generally get you the chance to see top tier players so it, you know it's one of those things that maybe if they they didn't want to protect the top players and put them behind a ticket and cash in on it and then force too many matches onto the big cause then you would have had an audience at that first match where on was playing and, and unfortunately she lost um but again you know it, it's all down to scheduling it's it's not down to sexism it's not down to racism or, or any of these things it's just poor organization on the part of the, the FFT and how they run the event. And that's exactly right. So stop speculating out there. Stop pretending that women's tennis is lousy and no one's interested. That's not the truth. It's all about the bucks and getting the value for your ticket. And I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we have uh, worldwide inflation. We have big problems economically. So when you buy a ticket, you're going to get every ounce of, of value out of that ticket that you possibly can and the French Open tennis organizers know this and they've tried to do their best to accommodate that so maybe you should find out things before you spout off on Twitter or social media or on your stupid podcast that no one listens to and that's it that's the bottom line Craig but these girls the ladies have been very entertaining Coco Goff now, we're going to probably get this podcast up right about the time that uh, Iga Svitek takes on whoever she's taking. I believe she's playing against... Uh, Kasatkina? Yeah, Daria Kasatkina. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, Craig, because we, we kind of threw this together at the last second. But yeah, Kasatkina. One of the biggest beefs I have is the coverage in the United States. It's horrific. You can't watch tennis here unless you have tennis channel, and that's not everywhere. So you're screwed there too. So you got to go look for streams, and that's hard to do. But Svitex won what 33 straight matches. She's fired so many bagels and breadsticks at folks, and the way she took care of uh, Jessica Pagula on Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever it was, that was crazy. And I have to think. That if there's anyone who can take a set off her, 
playing the way that she is, it's Kasakina. She's played very well. She's healthy. That's something that we haven't heard much of because the journalists out there don't cover tennis the way they should. And this could be an interesting match. I, I, you can't bet any of the four semifinals because they're all priced crazy unless you want to take a shot on an underdog. What do you think is what? What is the obvious outcome here? It's it's probably Svitek in straight sets, but does Kasikina have a chance to push this to three? I think um, you're, if you're in the match, you always have a chance, right? I mean, yep. let, let's let's not be silly. Um, you know, there's nothing to say that. Um, she she won't Sviatek rather won't come out and have a particularly uh, difficult day. Um, yeah, anyone could come out and just not be timing the ball correctly. That's entirely possible. We, we've seen that plenty of times um, throughout the years where someone's been playing relatively uh, good tennis all week and then they come out and they have a day where they're just not getting that timing right on the ball and it's you know flying long or it's flying wide. Um, so that's possible. I mean, Kasatkina is actually playing quite well. She's, I don't think she's dropped a set either, um, which is something, you know, she had a, that good win over Shelby Rogers and that one surprised us because when Shelby Rogers took out Daniel Collins, I think you and I, our eyes kind of lit up thinking we might be onto, uh, onto something there, but, um, Kasatkina has been, uh, pretty much excellent all the way through. I, I can't recall her losing, uh, a set to anyone. Um, and, and she's not, you know, she's a 20th seed. So there's a reason she's a 20th seed. Um, means, means that she's a good player. I, I, I really think like if out of the players that's left, if I was to pick someone to take a set of Sviatek, this is the player I think it would be. I think it would be a big ask for her to win because Sviatek's got that ability to really dominate the play. Her, her, Physical attributes allow her to do that, um, but definitely, like if I was going to play the over, I'd probably be looking at this match um, as as a candidate for playing the over on. Yeah, that could be. I think the total is twenty and a half games. That could get reached. Kasakina, like I said, she's been hurt. You know, her ranking fell a bit, but she's doing all right. Svitek, on the other hand, geez, oh, Pete, you know, she is just butchering folks and it's not even fair really but that's the difference between someone who's driven and someone who's driven by the bucks and by the spotlight and by the commercial endorsements you know Svitek isn't going to get the same endorsements as Emma Raducanu but no one's going to be afraid of Emma Raducanu when they see her on the tennis court but Iga's a different character I hope she wins the whole thing I really do but Coco Golf, she's going to make me eat my words one day, and I hope she does. You know, this is a tennis betting show. This isn't a fanboy show or a fangirl show. We don't sop around after folks and, 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 and get excited. You know, we get excited because we're tennis fans. I've made a living in tennis for 38 years, a lot longer than David Law has. But uh, needless to say, Coco Golf's played great this tournament. And one of the reasons she plays is playing great is because that shaky forehand she has time to set up now. You know, the dirt allows her to set up and her forehand doesn't look as awful as it does 
when she plays on any other surface for that matter. And she's got an interesting match too though. What she has is she has Trevisan and Trevisan has played very well. She is a huge underdog in this one. You know, it used to be you could go to Coco's forehand and, and break her down. And once that forehand went south, that serve went right with it. But one thing I've noticed about Coco Golf is she's getting that left hip in front of the baseline on her serve. She's done a great job of doing that. And she looks really comfortable on this surface. But does Trevisan have a chance for an upset? Because that match, that particular match you might be able to bet after you listen to this show I don't know Craig I I might take a shot at the dog you know she hasn't really had a big any real uh tough matches I don't think has she Coco um no not really no I'm I, I was looking back I think she played Stevens yes Chelsea Sloan uh, um, Sloan made her money for the fortnight she's a, she's good I mean I I could have talked about Merkins or Kanepi but both of those have kind of been on the way out a little bit you know they've they've, they've had better better times in previous years I, you know you know I talked about Kanepi probably it was on the last show and mm. I, I just wasn't too sold on Kanepi um, no, I think Galf's not really come up against anyone, um, outstanding, but you know, you could only beat the player who is in front of you, right? I mean, you, you can't ask her to, uh, to, to beat somebody who she's not drawn against. So, you know, you, you, you gotta take it one round at a time and just beat the player that's there. But there's not a huge amount of evidence of her beating somebody who I would have said is, uh, um, clay court specialist, and now she's playing somebody who I would say is quite at home on the clay. But it's a good matchup for her because Trevisan is not a highly ranked player. She's sort of like 50, 60 in the rankings. Um, the only thing that I think we, you know, we'll find interesting here is that Trevisan's left-handed. Um, which was something I picked up on earlier in the tournament. It hadn't been something I'd been paying attention to previously. And if I remember rightly, I think they played once before and Trevisan actually won that one. So um, I think that was uh, in, in Roland Garros, um, probably, the, probably 2020 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that one went three sets. So again, like I'm looking at the over and I'm thinking, mm, yeah, like I like the look of the over on this one. I'm not sure who's going to win. I think this will be a bit of a slugfest. Um, if Coco keeps things together, I think she can get herself in the final. I can't see her winning the tournament. I, I, you know, I really don't see anyone beating Sviatek here, the way she's been playing the last few months. But, um, yeah, I think Coco's got to execute her chances. And, you know, this match is so open, right? Either of these girls can get themselves into the final, and, and at that point, you know, whatever happens happens but uh this is as good a match in a semi-final stage as coco gauff could ask for at this stage you know you, you look down there and you think of all the players you could have been playing this half you would be quite happy if you said coco gauff going to get to the semi-final and she'll be playing against chavizan so it's a big opportunity for her let's see if she can cash in i hope she does i really do i i, I don't dislike coco i just think that she's fundamentally flawed 
and that comes from my 38 years of professional coaching. You know, that's I, I I've talked about that several times. I've talked about her forehand and why it's loopy and slow. And you know what? It is what it is. But I hope she wins. I'm not. I, you know what? I don't. I, I go back and forth on this match because, like you rightly pointed out, Trevor Sand does have an edge career-wise. One zero on this surface, in this venue. So we'll have to wait and see. You know, Trevisan has less to lose than Coco Goff does, though. But if you're Coco Goff, the best thing that could have ever happened to you is Emma Raducanu. Because everybody talks about Emma, and no one's talking about her anymore. And that's a good thing. Because you can go under the radar, you can still be the hunter. You know, I think that more people are trying to chase and, and hunt down Coco Goff than Emma Raducanu. I think when you see Emma Raducanu as a player, you're probably smiling if she's playing you. But I don't know if you could say that about Coco, at least on the dirt. We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I like your over call also. The men. The men have been interesting also. Very interesting, Craig. That Rafael Nadal-Novak Djokovic match, that was interesting. I had the Nadal pick in my uh, blog post that I wrote out where I hand out some free picks every day. And that was one of the plays that I had. You know, and that brings up something back to what we were talking about earlier is about match scheduling and how different things are. There's a huge difference between playing on Chartier at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and playing at 8 o'clock at night. It's not the same. It's not the same at all. The weather changes. Like you and I were talking about before the show, it's not like, say, for example, the U.S. Open where it's still hot and muggy and crappy and humid. It's different. And and that air is different. And if they don't close that roof on Chartier and they have no reason to if it's not, if there isn't inclement weather, that's a completely different surface, a completely different venue and a completely different tournament. It's like playing two different tournaments. And I think Rafael Nadal had every right to ask for that match to be changed from evening to morning. But then again, capitalism reared its ugly head and they won and Rafael Nadal came through. Now I want to ask you something. Now I said this before, I say this again. I think the pressure has gotten to Novak. I think the bottom line is, is this is going to be a very tough season for him I think he is at one time in his career he embraced the fact that he was a outside outside of the tennis community if you will but now I think he wants to be a part of it and he's just not used to seeing those boos is he no I think he gambled a lot on his professional tennis players association I, I think he had you know these dreams of a breakaway tour something maybe like what we're seeing in golf at the minute with the saudi arabian money coming in right. and a lot of players you know thinking like conditions are maybe a little bit better that um potential earning potential is better probably you know is an opportunity to do something different he saw this in tennis and you know he thought he, he was going to get the big money for all the all of his friends on the tour and he was going to be the uh the guy to change the structure of tennis. And I don't think he's wrong. Like I think there are, and you and I have discussed this on the show. We go back to, I think it was maybe a couple of years ago. We talked about how the tour works and how, you know, we need to change the tour for the better. And, and Novak's onto that. 
but the way that he's doing it, um, it, it hasn't rubbed everyone the right way. He's kind of gone off, done his own thing, been very outspoken about it. And all of a sudden, he's realized that actually, you know, his dream of being the, the guy with all of the Grand Slams, um, you know, the most Grand Slams, etc., that's kind of starting to get away from him because Rafael Nadal is having a bit of a resurgence late in the day. You know, everybody thought Nadal was done or potentially struggling to, to do any more. And, and he's come back and he's cemented himself at the top of that Grand Slams list. And Novak Djokovic, maybe he's not insignificant, but he's not feeling as significant as he was before. And I think a lot of that's starting to tell within a lot of the things that he does. You know, he's making some rash decisions off the court. He's making, you know, some not so good decisions on the court. He doesn't look that invincible Novak Djokovic that we've seen in previous years. See, that's what I tell people. Once they lose their invincibility in the locker room, it's over. And he, you know, I was, I was surprised that he blew that four set. He was up 4-1, serving, and it all came back. You have to uh, honor these great champions. Not, not just at that point, but when did you ever see Novak Djokovic, end of the fourth set, have match points in a game where he's played three unreturnable serves, and then he doesn't win that game, he gets broken, and then loses the match. I mean, that's just not Novak Djokovic. It sure isn't, and something else is going on there. Again, I think it has a lot to do with you know, the tennis community is not really embracing him. They never have. You know, but that goes back to when he first came up, if you remember. When he was playing at the U.S. Open, his parents were wearing the same kit he was. And, and that raised a lot of eyebrows and a lot of chuckles and this and that. And, and tennis folks haven't forgotten that. If you have, if you didn't know about those things, then you probably shouldn't be covering tennis either, you know, David Law. But uh, at the end of the day, He's lost his invincibility. He's going to be. He's going to suffer because Wimbledon is not. You know, they're they're not going to be giving out ATP points, so he's going to lose all those points. He's going to have a hard time in the summer. I don't think he can come into the United States yet. So he's pretty much done for the year, and that's that's a pity because he's a great player. When he's playing at his best, he's a sight to behold. You know, you want to talk about a fighter? There's a guy who fights. You know, he might pull the game and chip routine time and time again. You know, that's the funny thing is his fan base doesn't see it. But Novak Djokovic is, is, is feigned injury more times than anyone. So at the end of the day, it's going to be very tough for Novak. That whole Professional Tennis Players Association thing didn't go so well. He's just not beloved. And, and I think what he needs to do is embrace that. Say, you know what? Okay, they they don't like me. They've got their reasoning. I'm just going to go out there and dominate like no one's ever seen. And I'm going to take care of business. But right now, I don't think that's in his head. He's got a lot going on. He's, he wants to play in the U.S. Open. I don't think he's going to get to do that. We'll have to wait and see. But Nadal, you know, go ahead. Speak, speak, you're coming on to the man himself, Nadal. Speaking of feigning fe injury, Nadal's been playing a little bit of the old rope-a-dope with people oh, again. Oh, yeah, the okey-doke, sure has. <laughs> yeah, the, the old foot injury in Rome, and he had to pull out, and he was not going to be fit for Roland Garros. And if he got there, would he make it to the second week? Yeah, right, he's fine. 
we beware the injured tennis player. That's what we've always said since I was a little kid. Beware of them. The second you think that they're injured, they all of a sudden come back and beat you. Rafael Nadal's been playing the okey-doke for a long time, too. You know, they all do it to a certain extent. But Novak Djokovic fans, they have no reason to complain about what Nadal has done or doesn't do because they're both the same in the end. They're both trying to win majors, and they're going to do what they need to do in order to win majors. Now, I had a guy who I know for a fact doesn't know much about tennis, but he's covering it now, too. I mean, he doesn't really know anything about tennis. And he honestly thought that Rafael Nadal was going to pull out of the French Open. Are you stupid? You know what? Right there, it tells me everything you need to know. He has eight, nine days, the greatest trainers and physios in the world, and whatever else he does to get ready. And look at him. He's in the semifinals against Zverev. And does Zverev have a chance against Nadal? Because I kind of have a feeling that he might, depending on which Zverev shows up. Um, it needs to be that Zverev that we've seen win the ATP Tour Finals where he was hitting ridiculous serves, um, taking the match away from the likes of Novak Djokovic. The problem is now people will come running to me and go, well, Zverev beat Nadal a few weeks ago on the clay at Madrid. And then I'll go, yeah. And then like two weeks later, when we came back down to low altitude where the ball wasn't flying at a million miles an hour, Nadal whipped him in Rome when he had a bad leg. Apparently, um, <laughs> but um, you know, on a proper clay court, I don't believe that Zverev, at, at, you know, taking out the Madrid match, I don't believe that Zverev's ever beaten Nadal on clay at, at the altitude they're playing at in Paris. So I think you know, it's you need to go to another level to beat Nadal. Just playing really well doesn't beat him here in Paris. He. You saw that the other night. I mean, Novak Djokovic was not playing bad tennis. No, he wasn't. You know, he was playing very, very good tennis, and he didn't manage to, you know, he, he never, ever really looked like he was going to win the match. Um, and I think that's going to be the problem for Zverev, is like, even if he gets two sets up, you you need to be two sets up and two breaks up before you, you think Nadal's out of the match. Um I think it's going to be really difficult for him. I really, really do. I mean, we saw Nadal struggle a little bit against Felix. Um, and, and, you know, you still didn't think Felix was going to win that match. When it got to the fifth set, you kind of thought, yeah, there's only going to be one winner here. And that's kind of how I feel about this. Like, everything fits for Nadal, right? The, the pace of the core, everything's suited to the way that he plays. So even serving well, I mean, he's going to get a lot of balls back, and that's the problem, is once he starts getting balls back on this service, he wins points that he shouldn't be able to win. Um, I'd like to say that Zverev's got a chance, but I I just can't see it. I mean, Nadal's so, so good. You don't win 13 of these things. Um, 13 Grand Slams at the same Grand Slam without it you know, becoming your house, your home. And it's it's going to be so so difficult for Zverev to win his first Slam here. You know, to get rid of Nadal would take a monumental effort. And I don't know if he's got those three sets in him. Um, and, and the minute Nadal wins one, um, you know, I, I don't think Zverev will be able to hang with him over the the longer term. I, I really just can't see him taking Nadal out here. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that Zverev is another player that's. Not well-received amongst the fans. You know, he's got some off-court issues, apparently. Some allegations made. 
he does have a temper. He's he's behaved boorishly at times. Uh, he's underachieved a lot of times. Um, I, would... I, I, I like Novak Djokovic the other night. That's where things would go wrong. When Djokovic started throwing the racket and you know hitting the net with it, that's when you knew it was finished because you know the frustration gets the better of you. That's not going to happen to Nadal. So if Sverev goes a set down early, the writing will be on the wall really quickly. You know, there's not going to be anyone in that court who's cheering for him. If there is, it'll be a very, very minor amount of people. So once things start getting on top of him, he's not going to come back. I think it's going to be huge if he does, but it's very unlikely. It's not a good play. It's not a good play. I think it could go four sets, though. I don't think it's going to go straight sets. I don't have the total in front of me, but that's something that you could probably look at. Again, these matches are unbettable, really, unless you want to take big chances, and we don't take big chances here. We just give you winners. I think Zverev, this is his match. I think this is his watershed moment. If he doesn't beat Nadal, forget about Zverev. You know, there were there was a time when folks out there, well, not you, because you've been on him since day one about the exhibitions and the chasing dollars and the poor behavior on the court. But if he can somehow find a way to beat Rafael Nadal, I think that's going to change some of the perception about him being a choker, being a guy who can't win because he did win the ATP Cup. So, I mean, it is what it is or the final, I should say. But, you know, the comparison I like to make is to Andy Murray because he go. started off and he didn't have the best off-court profile either. He sure there was, didn't. you know, his his demeanor and stuff didn't sit well with a lot of people. They they, they didn't like that. He was gruff, so, remember? Gruff, dour. He, he was, but you know, he's turned that around over time and he's had success. Um, you know, he's won three Grand Slams, two gold medals, Davis Cups, ATP Tour Finals, got the number one in the world. So he had a pretty good career, probably a Hall of Fame career. Zverev's still a young guy, right? He's 25 years old. Um, Nadal, Djokovic are not going to be around forever. There's still going to be that period over the, you know, whether it's, you know, Nadal might finish this year, Djokovic might finish this year, next year. There's going to be a period where the door does open for Zverev, and he's not the number three player in the world for no reason. He's a very good player, but I think they need to have a look at maybe bringing in some people off the court to build his profile, get the right people to present him in the right light, um, maybe have him do a, a little bit more positive public speaking, and then he maybe be able to deliver on the court at the back of that because this guy's getting to semifinals. He's getting to quarters and semis and slams. Eventually, the door is going to open for this guy, whether it's here, um, which will be a difficult match to overcome the dial, or if it's, you know, maybe it's at the Open or the Australian Open next year or whatever. There's going to be a moment where the door opens, and if his profile is good at that time, he could become a star. He needs that PR work off the court to rebuild himself in the same way that Murray did. You know, the, the Murray, the, the Wimbledon 2012, he broke down afterwards after losing to Federer. And then a month later, he had the Olympic gold medal around his neck. You know, that was like a, a moment, a turning point in the career of Andy Murray. And I think we're going to see that in Alexander Zverev at some point. There's going to be a point where... The real Alexander Zverev character comes out. People start to embrace it, and he goes on an upwards curve. It's probably not going to be here against Nadal, but um, I think there's still an upside for this guy. 
I just think until he opens that door and allows people to come in and embrace him, it's that's going to hold him back. And let's not forget Murray brought in Yvonne Lendl to help him, who was another player that most didn't like for a good reason, by the way. I would be one of them. But, uh, and I have my reasons. That's what he needs to do, though. You're right. I, he's, but these allegations he's got against him about beating up his former girlfriend, he's got that, that's got to get walked down. And, and one of the things that bothers me more than anything is that why does the ATP, when did the ATP become a police organization? They are supposed to be taking care of the players. They're supposed to be the voice of the players to protect them in different situations. And, and why are they investigating him? And who cares what their findings are anyway? It's not a court of law. You know, if you really are serious, you go to a court of law. Well, we saw Amber Heard yesterday lose to Johnny Depp in court. You know, allegations. Nobody believed her. See, we don't even have a chance to uh, know these things because the girl's not talking anymore, and Zverev obviously isn't, other than to say he's innocent. So... We need to get that behind him before we can do anything else to fix his image because that's a dark cloud hanging over his head and the fans have not forgotten it. They've embraced it. I hope he didn't do this. And if he didn't, I hope Ben Rothenberg gets fired and and personally, I wouldn't care what happens to Ben after that because he's another one of those yellow journalists who just doesn't know anything about tennis. But he's a heckin' good writer though, so we'll give him that. But at the end of the day, that's going to be a great match. I, I agree with you. Zverev has to take that step forward. It won't be here probably. But you want to talk about a guy who's gotten to slams, semis, and finals that no one hardly ever talks about is Marin Silic. And he's taken on Ruud in his second match Friday on Chartier. What do you think about this one? Now, Silic is a slight dog, I think, in this. I don't know that he should be. But this Ruud, he's played very well. It's, the surface seems to suit him. Who wins this one? Because I'm kind of thinking Silic might. Well, I don't think, you know, apart from his U.S. Open win, his one Grand Slam that he won, I don't think I've seen Silic playing quite this well, no. particularly on this surface. You know, I've I seen him play well on grass. I've seen him play well on hard courts, but I've, I've not seen him do this sort of thing on this surface so um yeah it's it, it's quite i'm quite split on it but when, when the clay court season started i lost a bit of money on casper root because he wasn't playing particularly well but he's a 23 year old guy from uh norway I, I don't know what kind of courts they have up there I, i've never never really looked into tennis up there because we've not had a lot of stars from up there <laughs> but he really does seem to play well on the clay and he's got going um pretty well and i you know i i'm gonna r- look at him and say uh, yeah i think he could cause martin chillich a lot of problems here you know the way he played in that quarterfinal last night i thought was fantastic um Something says to me that he's going to be the guy in the final. And I've, I've actually I've enjoyed watching Martin Cilic here. He's played some incredible tennis. Um, you know, he's, had a, he's 33 now. I thought he was on a downwards curve, and he's bounced right back at this tournament. 
he was not a guy I looked at it the first week and thought, you know, this guy's going to make it to the second week, let alone be in a semi-final. Um, I, I thought that performance the other day, and I'm, I'm just racking my brain trying to remember who he played the other day, but he had, he had a great, I think, five sets win the other day. And, um, yeah, I was really impressed with what he did. But, yeah, Casper Ruud for me, good clay court player. And, and I'm actually going to go four sets Casper Ruud here. That's what I think it'll be. I think Chilich will get a set. He's too good not to. But I, I know Ruud beat him uh, at Rome a couple of years ago. That's a good indicator for me that Ruud's got good clay game. I think um, he'll be able to get enough balls back off the serve that he'll cause a lot of problems. And I, I think he'll dig it in the rallies, and, and that'll be where the, the difference is. I don't think um, Chilich will be able to hit through the court as well. But I say that, and if this is the scheduled night match, then I might change my opinion. I think Chilich would be much more suited to playing at night with a heavier ball. He might be able to hit it a little bit flatter in the night session. You know, step in the court, get a real um, banging forehand on the on the ball, and then that might change the, the the way this match plays out. But if this is during the day session, I'm going with Casper Ruud. You know, that's a good call too because in the daytime, I would think that Silich's serve will go through the ground, go through the court a little quicker. You know, it's a little faster court during the day. But you're right. He's a big kid. He's strong. He has experience. I think I, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going with Silich in four. I think Silich is playing out of his mind. He's hit the proverbial zone. He's seeing the ball like a beach ball. And he's really got nothing to lose because no one even talked about him, including us, of having any chance of making even a dent in this fortnight but great stuff today craig so before we before we go i have to push you there are four guys left we talked about the women which of these four guys wins the title rafael nadal does all right so we're not going to disagree on that no 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 um i was laughing about the alcaraz thing and by the way alcaraz is a fabulous player a great talent but something you said on the last podcast it, it, it resonated And I hope that some of you picked up on that. You know, there's a big difference beating players in Madrid in the high altitude as opposed to beating someone in a Grand Slam in five sets. It's a big difference. And and let's not take anything away from Alcaraz. He's exciting to watch. He's, He's really good. I mean, when you talk about his touch, his feel, his court sense, his court IQ, it's really high for a young kid. He's got a great coach, Juan Carlos Ferrero. I think that Carlos has probably a better drop shot than the Mosquito did. But don't tell Mosquito I said that because I don't want my phone to ring tonight. But I, I did, hey, you know, we called that on the podcast last week, right? Yes, we um, did. When we called we talked a lot about, of things. talked about Carlos Alcaraz, and a, a lot of people have been sending me DMs talking about the big shock as Zverev putting them out. And I said, what shock? You know, we saw that he beats Zverev in Madrid, but the you know he didn't play Rome, so there was no evidence that he would beat Zverev on a clay court at you know sea level altitude. Um, so I think you know, come and listen to the show. We're giving you this stuff for free. We made a lot of money, and I made a lot of money on that one. I, I told you I put five hundred bucks down on that one because uh, I was so confident on what was going to happen. And uh, the price on Zverev that I was given from the odds maker was so high, it was worth 
uh, putting the 500 bucks down instead of our usual 100 bucks play. But uh, I just, you know, advise people, come back. We're going to be doing Wimbledon in a couple of weeks. Come back. We'll give you some free money. We're going to give you free money. We're not going to miss any more shows either. We're done with all that. My tennis coaching career is pretty much over. I do some, you know, consulting and things like that. But now I'm back in broadcasting full time. I'm loving that too, by the way. That was my transition out in 2014, and I kind of kept my nose in there. Against even Craig. Craig didn't want me to come back to tennis. He knew that I had a bad heel, but I did it anyway, and and I'm glad that I did. I I learned a lot, and we're going to talk about some of those things that I've learned over the next few weeks. But great stuff, Craig. Great stuff. We'll see you next week because we've got a lot to talk about with the grass court, with this Wimbledon issue, turning it into an exhibition. Lots of great stuff. And congratulations, man, on a great soccer photography career. Craig's one of the best photographers in the world. I don't know if you know that or not, and but I do. And I've had people who represented artists like Craig, and they say, wow, his, his photographs come to life. You'll see them on my timeline because every time he puts them up, I retweet them. Great stuff, partner. Great photography career. I know it's not over yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next. We'll have to talk about what we're going to do next because this journalism issue is really turning ugly. I mean, when you're trying to find information and you can't about an international sport like tennis, something is wrong there. And I think that we're going to try to fix that. All right, for Craig Doyle, I'm Phil Nasons. Thanks for listening to This Week in Tennis. This Week in Tennis.